Although our logo is cute as hell, please be aware we deal with some truly heinous content in this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Heinously Yours. This is our episode four, I think, and we are talking about... Oh, wait, I'm me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Talia. (laughs) Hooray. (laughs) Um, And we are talking about episode four of season 13 of SVU. We are here to talk about SVU not as a celebratory thing, but as more of a discussion about what they talk about and how the cops in SVU act. This episode is called Double Strands, and it starts off with a creepy dude taking photos from afar of a ballet dancer, Danielle. He comes up to her at night in in a really unnecessary scene, like a rape Mm. scene. That one's a bit much. When Danielle describes her attack to Benson and Rollins, Rollins notices similarities with a case they had in Atlanta using a yin-yang tattoo, the bike escape, and tell me you love me, mommy. Olivia is skeptical and a bitch about it. (laughs) (laughs) Credits roll. really is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the the super specific tell me you love me mommy thing, that should have been a trigger. And I know that in the past, she has looked up stuff with much less evidence mm. of connection than that. But she, because it's Rollins and she hates Rollins, she's like, no, you're, you're a fucking <laughs> asshole. She's like, now you're wrong. Credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> Rollins gets all the details about the rapist they had in Atlanta. They hadn't heard anything from him for three years and they thought he was in prison or dead. All the victims are tall, athletic and blonde, so he des- definitely has a type. Finn is the only one sticking up for Rollins. Even Craigin, Craigin is dunking on her. <laughs> even Cragen is dunking on her. I said that even Cragen is crunking on her. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did hear the Cragen, and I was just like, "Yeah, that's his name." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's. I love Cragen. Um, <laughs> first four cases, they have DNA but no matches. They have a partial fingerprint on a screwdriver from one of the attacks of Halloween 2003. This is Chekhov's Halloween. Mm-hmm. Benson comes in reporting that Danielle took out a chunk of the hair from her attacker and they're running the DNA. Benson also advises they go to fancy schmancy sketch artist Fujitsu, who... Fujitsu? Fujitsu. I think my <laughs> notes auto-corrected to Fujitsu. <laughs> I think it's Fujita. <laughs> it's definitely not Fujitsu. Yeah, my <laughs> notes just auto-corrected. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Fujita. I've seen this episode mm. enough that I'm sure the artist's name is Fujita, mm. who produced an artistic rendition of TR Knight and for some fucking reason an overly shaded yin-yang tattoo. <laughs> I was going to, like, I have it in my notes. Like, okay, one, one uh, when when we're talking to the Vic, she, uh, she goes, oh, he, yeah, he had a tattoo, some kind of Tai Chi thing. And I'm like, yeah. lady... <laughs> do you, who doesn't know what a yin yang symbol is? Yeah. Uh, but then why why is this the, when they bring out the the images from the sketch artist? So there there is this incredibly beautiful caricature of our man. But yeah, <laughs> then there's this weird. Why is it drawn like that? Why is, <laughs> <Shaded>. <laughs> <laughs> 
like if no one's ever seen a yin yang tattoo before oh and and i love i mean well i mean apparently the average new yorker calls it a tai chi thing but okay Mm -hmm. but like what why is it done in like sepia tone why is it shaded that way oh it's so weird it makes no sense they could have just literally just printed something off but they're like no no they have to match and they paid like in this world they paid that guy to draw it especially because when when olivia like says oh i brought in fujitsu they they were going on about how like isn't he exorbitant and then they're like i can just imagine them sitting in there go going oh yeah and he had this he had this uh tai chi tattoo thing and and he was like all right just give me a couple of hours i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna do some chiaroscuro shading on this shit like you ain't seen <laughs> yeah it was so weird <laughs> so weird again middle-aged people not knowing what the fuck mm-hmm. um finn says to call one police plaza to register a serial rapist but Cragen is still not sure and you realize how many of them just straight up don't trust roland's police work <laughs> <laughs> despite the fact that she's brought up some pretty good connections so far <sighs> They have a sketch up on digital billboards. Finn and Munch have an argument about civil liberties. Mm. The unit gets a shit ton of dud phone calls, but they also get another victim coming forward with the exact same details that they that were never released. Mm. Some mums at a playground send in a picture of a dude that looks exactly like the sketch playing with his kid, and they conveniently know where he lives. Amaro and Finn go to the dude's house who has no clue despite his face being plastered on the newspapers and digital billboards. He mentions he went on a bike ride by himself and his wife backs him up. The dude, Gabriel, is pretty happy to comply with all their questions because he's adamant he's done nothing wrong. He kisses his wife goodbye and goes with the cops. Gabriel is being defended by Sherry West, who was the unit's ADA for a few episodes in season 12. The two victims single out Gabriel as their attacker in a lineup. Sherry West doesn't want Gabriel to talk to the cops, especially with Rollins being super keen to take a crack at him, so much so that Benson and Amara are already sharing partnery looks at each other. <laughs> Cragen, which autocorrected to Kraken for some reason, <laughs> gives the interview to Benson and Amara, but lets Rollins watch. Gabriel is completely taken aback about the accusations and offers up more information about himself and his working timeline that put him at all the past places the rapist had hit. They connect all the dots between the rapes and all the places Gabriel's work moved him to, and the only place they can't confirm is the three years in Sweden. So this is an interesting thing that I had to look up. Everyone is convinced that Gabriel is the rapist. Amaro, he hasn't really been given any other evidence to say otherwise except when he's talking to Gabriel. So he's playing, like, essentially not what it's become, but what it used to be of Devil's Advocate Mm. or the odd man. I think they call it the tenth man. Mm -hmm. So the tenth man is supposed to be the person that disagrees with everyone so that people start to think of different ideas. Yeah, so the tenth man is basically there to, if there's a room full of people and they're all agreeing on something, the 10th man always argues the other side so that people can start thinking of us other possibilities, mm-hmm. basically getting people outside of the echo chamber. And this is what Amaro is doing in this episode, because if it wasn't for Amaro pushing, mm-hmm. they would have just charged Gabriel, mm-hmm. like without looking further. Okay. So basically 
he's confused by how Gabriel has been reacting the whole the whole time. Gabriel Thomas is a DNA match. Novak tells the team to book him. She's like, her work is done. She's like, all right, I'll get book him. <laughs> Rollins is super happy and says she's going to call her old captain in Atlanta. Cragen tells her good job. Amaro is pensive and goes to talk to Gabriel to try and convince him to admit what he's done so he can still be like still be able to see his son and his wife to be put in a jail closer to his wife and his son. But Gabriel refuses. Gabriel gets Rebed to Rikers with no bail. Gabriel's wife is visibly shaken at court. Cut to Amaro and Finn signing Gabriel off to Rikers, and one of the corrections officers runs in to tell them that something's wrong with Gabriel. Amaro runs in in time to see that Gabriel has tried to slit his wrist and tells Amaro to tell his son that he's innocent before passing out. Olivia thinks Gabriel just tried to, quote, take the easy way out. Again, Olivia mm. being a fucking asshole. Gabriel and his wife are having a rough time when where he's indignant that she believes the tons of evidence, which, like, you know <laughs> it's a bit of yeah. a hard spot for her to be in the doctor says i had a guy a guy tried to chew his arm off to try and prove to a judge he was crazy it worked if a person is chewing their arm off they are crazy like yeah she says it like a, it was his plan all along i'm sorry but if you are at a point where you think that chewing your own arm off is going to get you out of something i'm afraid to tell you you're crazy that's yeah. <laughs> like she makes it sound like oh, it was his plan all along and, and he's it just made no sense. There's a lot of weird victim blamey stuff going on in this one. Yeah. Yeah. The wife, Janie, gets ambushed by Olivia and Amaro and then starts to spill her guts, including that Gabriel was adopted and Chekhov's Halloween comes in again. She specifically mm-hmm. mentioned that she miscarried on Halloween of 2003 and that Gabriel's makeup was running because he was dressed as Jack Sparrow. Amaro gives Sherry West the heads up to check dates of where Gabriel was during Halloween of 2003. Amaro is still unsure about Gabriel being the rapist and he and Munch have a heart to heart about following your gut when it comes to detectiving. <laughs> yeah, because um, then, then Munch says something like, like, I get what he was, what he meant by this but he says something the DNA along the lines thing. of no no because yeah. he, he, well, he says you know oh back in my day all we had was uh, you know we went by our gut instinct or something along those lines and he he then says sometimes I wish it was still like that and I'm like my dude no no yeah. you don't I, I'll take don't. DNA over your gut instinct any day, but okay. Yeah, for sure. It, especially because this case in, in particular is like one in a million. Mm. <laughs> like anomalies like this don't happen every day where you can't trust the DNA. I like I get why he was doing it so that Amaro would trust his gut, mm. but at the same time you're like, shut up, Munch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shut the fuck up, Munch. Amaro checks with the labs in case they made a mistake and makes no friends in the process. Mm. Amaro and Olivia talk to Cragen about their doubts about Gabriel. Rollins walks in sensing something is happening, but Cragen send Amara and Benson to go check out Gabriel's bio family. Gabriel is still in hospital and surly as shit as you would be. Mm. Amaro and Benson go to talk to Gabriel's bio mom who lives in a group home of some sort and is a firecracker. <laughs> <laughs> the bio mom tells them that she actually had twins and that they separated them when she gave them up. Furthermore, one of them, Brian, contacted her, but she turned him away, and then Brian's adoptive mom killed his adoptive dad in front of Brian. She also tells them that Brian went to visit her afterwards, but that she turned him away once again, saying, I gave him up once, you'd think he would have taken the hint. Amara asks if she told Brian he had a twin, and she says yes. The team look for Brian and find the headline about his adoptive mom, and they find his work ID for the Parks Department, and he looks identical to Gabriel. They have to talk to Novak first, and she's pissed because she says that this case 
case is the definition of reasonable doubt. Did you notice this was Novak? Uh, well, I mean, now I know, but... No, but did you I, know what I you're was, watching? Was this the episode where she, like, her hair is very red, but she's also wearing a blue shirt? Or was that last episode? I don't know. Well, at, at one point I go, lady, you should go back to blonde, but... Ah. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly, that's a uh, yeah, my mistake. <laughs> Cragen suggests that they pretend to release Gabriel to catch Brian in the act to remove reasonable doubt by setting a trap with Rollins. They set the trap. Rollins nearly gets raped, and Amaro goes ape shit on Brian. To which Rollins gets pissed because the beating could ruin the case. Mm. Rollins wants to interview Brian, but Cragen and Novak tell her no because Brian attacked her, and technically she is his victim. Olivia, for some reason, is sticking up for Rollins all of a sudden, for mm. no fucking reason. Like, she hasn't been working SVU for 12 years, knowing full well the confession could be thrown out. Mm. Munch and Finn are interviewing Brian, but he demands to talk to Rollins or a lawyer. Cragen lets Rollins do the interview. Amanda immediately goes into her flirty shtick, and Brian tells her she looks so much prettier when she smiles. And she replies, so do you? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, Rollins tells Brian about how she was a bit obsessed with him from working his case in Atlanta and how she's always thought she was his type. (laughs) She compliments his crimes and tries to get him to admit to the other girls he attacked and he says it was his brother. She compliments him some more before asking him to lift up his shirt and she she says, lift up your shirt, baby. I want to show you something. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? This is so uncomfortable. Do you remember how when uh, we were first talking about Rollins and you were like, you know, she's got this real Southern Belle accent. And I was like, does she? <laughs> I I could definitely hear it in this, yeah. specifically it's, in that line. It's when she says that. She sounded like Jodie Foster. So she had mm-hmm. a very Jodie Foster kind of thing when she says the, lift up your shirt, baby. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> he obliges to reveal his stomach scar and she mentions his chipped tooth that victim saw as well. He starts getting agitated as Rollins brings up Halloween 2003 and the screwdriver he left behind at the attack and the reason he started wearing gloves. Rollins rubs Gabriel's great life, his shitty bio mum and general sucky life in Brian's face. Rollins even tells him what his bio mum said about giving him up once. Rollins then implies that the bio mum made sure Gabriel went to a happy home and then brings up the crazy shit with his adopted parents and then does the uh, hokey, look at me, look at my face line, Mm. which I thought was like shitty, (laughs) shitty writing. Presumably Brian spills his guts because they release Gabriel and show him he has a twin and the episode ends with some dodgy special effects where TR Knight is staring at himself in through the glass with <laughs> ominous music playing dick wolf mm. interesting what are your notes what show me uh, your notes, well, baby. <laughs> <laughs> i want to show you something i want to um, show I you mean, something i do have a few i do have a few mm-hmm. first and foremost the fingerprint thing was interesting yep. So it was, if it wasn't clear, our perk was an identical twin. And yep. she, she mentions that, okay, they have identical DNA, but their fingerprints are not identical. If they yep. had, for this whole fucking time, because they, they have had this print since before, they, uh, before he attacked in New York, why haven't they checked the print? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you know, they could have checked it against Gabriel. They apparently yep. didn't. So... No. That why like I, I don't know anyway because this was quite a Olivia free relatively episode. Yeah, um, it was very Rollins, Rollins and Amaro 
Very much so. Yeah. And th- so the last few episodes, because we talked about how, okay, this this podcast, we wanted it to basically, we, we, we started where we where we have because we wanted to start post Maloney. And not because we hate him, because we love not, him, but also not because we just hate him. Yeah. All the other podcasts are very heavily Maloney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's other podcasts as well that I've noticed that do random episodes, which is fine because they want to do the popular episodes. But also I think you lose a lot of character development by going back and forth. Yeah. There's sometimes, like I have listened to a couple where they're like, I don't know what's going on before or after this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so this is happening in this and I don't know why. And, and Or like they really hate a character because of what they're doing, but there was lead up in other episodes to it. This way... We are getting Amaro and Rollins from the beginning and we're understanding where they end up, which is a yeah. very interesting yeah. journey. Yeah, and, and and I've said before as well that, like, my background with SVU has basically been watching episodes in a completely random order. So I have never seen SVU consecutively before, uh, chronologically. Consecutively. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been interesting to me thinking back to even when this aired, like I, I wanna know I, I wanna know how people reacted to Rollins and Amaro as characters and how specifically how they acted or reacted rather to, you know, oh my my favorite just left and you know, seeing yeah. like even like seeing the, I can, the opening. Oh go on. I can tell you because I've been in this fucking fandom mm. for twenty years. Everybody hated Rollins. Everybody mm. hated her so much, and everybody thought Amara was hot. Yeah, that <laughs> and there was a bunch of people of like they'll never replace Elliot. Mm. They can never replace Elliot. Yeah, there was so much Amanda hate. I did not like her either, but because mm. of the way, the way they paint her in the show. Mm. But I do. But I never hated her. Mm. I I saw a lot of like. She was just doing what she needed to survive, and then you, as you find out her story a bit more, you're you're just kind of like, you know, how else are you supposed to turn out <laughs> mm. with that kind of life or whatever? But yeah, everybody hated Amanda. Everybody was defending Olivia with her being a bitch, which mm. like everyone's just like, she just misses Elliot. It's like she's supposed to be a cop. Like yeah. she can't let personal shit get in the way of being a good detective, which she is dropping the ball in all these four episodes we've seen. She's being mm. an asshole because this is like Tumblr people <laughs> being mm. like just being real mean about shit. Mm. And it's funny as well because uh, so later on when the character I've told you of Carisi, when mm. he shows up, a bunch of people didn't like him either. And now he's the favorite. So it's just really interesting when people are just very much like, I don't like change. <laughs> <laughs> Because every episode so far, when I've watched the intro, because you know you got you have to watch the intro. There's no intro skip if it's for you. See that bit where they show all the characters, and I can't help but think of when this would have aired the first time, and people, you know, like say watch watch the first episode, realizing there was no Stabler in that opening, and going no, 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 why. Yeah. Who, who is this blonde heathen? <laughs> well, the funny thing is that when when season 13 started, everyone already knew that he had left. Oh. So he he had left because of contract issues. So he there was like some contract negotiations that did not go well and he left. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so everyone knew when season 13 started, there's people that didn't even watch it anymore. They were mm-hmm. like, well, I don't want to watch it if Maloney's not in it. To be honest with you, I was a bit like that because I have been obsessed with Maloney since I was, like, 19. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have... <laughs> This is so embarrassing. I have portraits that I drew of Maloney because I was obsessed with him in SVU and in Oz, the show Mm. Oz. So I have portraits of him every two or three years that I have. And it's funny because it shows my progression with my art (laughs) as well. (laughs) Please please show me. I I will. It's it's pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. I loved him. Like, I love... Uh, and I do love Maloney. Like he is, in general, like a really good guy. Elliot Stabler, not so much. He was mm. he was a bit of a dick. But yeah, when he left, I'm like, well, what's the fucking point? I'm like, no, I'll keep watching. And I'm so glad I did. Not only because it gets even more batshit later on, <laughs> but also because obviously season fourteen means Barber. <laughs> I cannot wait until we get to the Barber episode. Especially the first episode that he's in is is based on the Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, right. Yes. All right, yeah, all right. We better we better get through this fucking podcast. <laughs> better right. get cracking then. <laughs> so, um, okay. Th- the rest of my notes are actually about uh, some true life background. So I'm interested okay. to find out if there is like what what you found in regards to whether this is based on anything. Well, it's good that you have a lot of notes because I did come across a lot of articles of can this be done? Like, can this happen? Mm. But mostly I think it used to happen because we didn't have shit like DNA. Mm. (laughs) It was just easy to frame your twin because there was no way that people could tell otherwise. The article that I'm going to add in the notes, and if you have other articles as well, send me the link so I can add it into Mm. the show notes. So there was an article from 2012 that mentions that they were finding a way to tell DNA apart. Mm -hmm. So, like, it was a really layman's term because obviously I'm not any kind of scientist, but uh, they basically melt the DNA down to Mm -hmm. find its just foundational components and there is a way to tell DNA apart. But apparently it's very expensive because it's still... Tech, like it's been around for about five or six or more, like maybe 10 years, but mm. it's still very like fresh. <laughs> like mm. it's still, they're still kind of find their, finding their way. I don't know if you could use it in a criminal investigation. It's called epi- epigenetics, it's called. Mm-hmm. That's, on, that's the only main thing that I found. I didn't really find any cases specifically about like a rape or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what you found out. Well, um, it's not a case so much uh, as it is the biological mum, when they talk to her in the halfway house, she mentions that our perp was born in, I think, 1975. So, so this, yeah, then, around then. 70s. Um, yeah. And the mum basically says, like, oh, back then they were splitting identical twins apart. Uh, like, don't don't ask me why. It was some kind of psychiatric experiment. So what she is referring to is a real mm. thing. Um, is it the triplets? Uh, yeah. So, so it is related uh, to that, that Netflix, what is it? Was it a series or movie or whatever? I think Three it was just a documentary. Strangers. Yeah. Whatever. I didn't watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I so, have. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it is on my list. It's just one of those things where I have I have a list of priorities and it is not up the top. <laughs> That's um, fair. 
So the case that she is talking about is, um, so in 1960s New York, they basically did a study where they took triplets and, or not just triplets, triplets, tw- uh, twins, any monozygotic, so that's that's identical uh, twin that were given up for adoption, did not tell the adoptive parents, did not tell the biological parents, they separated them. Now, this is incredibly unethical by today's standards, but back then we didn't, we didn't really have like a notion of open adoption or informed consent it it was it was just not a thing at the time but mm. it is a thing that happened and that's where three identical strangers has basically come from the guy that studied this i think his name was new bauer new bayer it's one of those names where there's a lot of vowels and they're not in the order that you would think they are <laughs> um, so twin studies in psych is still a common thing not to the same degree where we're actually splitting up twins it's it was basically done because monozygotic twins identical twins are share 100 percent of their dna it is sort of like that nature versus nurture uh thing of like okay well yeah yeah yeah, like um you can see what i'm getting at here is like to to a scientist they must see stars with twins because it's like oh my god the perfect non-variable subjects they like, absolutely do. Cause, yeah. Like, it's still, like, twin studies, even today, are one of the, like, the gold standard kind of... Yeah, I all right. Yeah, And, I mean, again, we're not separating twins and we're not, you know, not telling people about separating twins now, but the, the study that like, we're talking about now, this new bow study, did actually happen and the records for it are still uh, sealed in Yale University until about 2065. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but the thing is that is that we have actually been doing studies like this since... I think just before the start of the 1900s, like we have records of yeah studies that purported to study twins reared apart, and this even predates DNA. So yeah, I just I just thought it was interesting coming from a psych yeah. background of you know them actually mentioning this because yeah, three identical strangers was a huge deal a couple of years back. Like people were like, whoa, can you believe that happens? Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. yeah, people are shit, yo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't until like I think just just before or just after like this sort of infamous study that the introduction of like using the twin method was actually incorporated into like scientific study. So that them's my notes. <laughs> them's my notes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. Uh, it's cool that we have a psych person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not just like. We're not just like stumbling through blindly. I mean, we are, but not not as much. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, I, I absolutely am. I, I was just, I was very much Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like pointing at the TV, going, "I know that." <laughs> yeah, no, the whole thing is is really interesting, but it's also really scary as well because all I can picture is you know someone giving birth to twins and some scientist being like, <laughs> like <laughs> "Yes." Well, it de- like definitely by our standards today, it seems like how can you do that to someone? I know it's 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 really unnerving to think that they didn't think they were doing anything wrong at the time. 
Mm, like mm. they thought no this is perfectly fine to separate in the case of the documentary like triplet mm. there's a bit that like it's like a throwaway line of of the firecracker of the bio mom in this episode that when she told brian that he had a twin brother he he's like he went on and on about how he always thought something was missing <laughs> mm. like she's just like she's such an asshole but like a lot of twins do say there is definitely some weird like really strong connection you can understand as well you know you can get trauma bonded you can get trauma bonded to anyone but you know it's very common to get trauma bonded to siblings and stuff Mm. and um i can tell you from my experience with like my brother like because i look after my brother we're we're trauma bonded like we've been through Mm. so much horrible shit together with his illness that we are trauma bonded and and it's funny because when something i mean this is morbid like humor or whatever but after something horrible happens and we're both just sitting going like what the shit was that and then Mm. you you can feel that thread of like well that's another trauma bond to (laughs) to Mm. add to the list and it's Mm. just like i can only imagine that as twins that would be like stronger Mm. you it must be insane Mm. and again the scientists like salivating to to like um, because like one of the reasons why we study twins it's essentially like this perfect showcase of like hey but we know for a fact that they share 100 percent of genetics so if they end up more the same on this trait or less the same on that we can estimate how much of a mental illness or a personality trait is heritable and i don't remember where i was going with that (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, it's an interesting fact anyway. <laughs> it sure um, is, but I, I definitely lost where I was going. <laughs> but it, but it's interesting as well how, I mean, and this is a completely different thing, but with twins and even with conjoint twins, mm. you'd have to take into account how much that its nature is like a huge part of what people's personalities are. With conjoint twins, they have very different personalities. Mm. People want to push, well, you can mold anyone into anything you want them to be through through nurture, but these people had the exact same upbringing mm. and in, lived in this exact same environment, and yet they have two completely different personalities. Mm. So, yeah, again, scientists well, just being like, <laughs> well, well, something, them. something that's interesting about that is that higher socioeconomic status siblings, not necessarily I, – I, no, I think the study was done with twins. They vary more in personality than lower socioeconomic twins. Right. And the reason for that is because – inherently having uh you know more access to freedom and privilege yeah yeah it gives you more opportunities and that's what will change things like you know your intelligence your personality trait this is where it comes into like in this episode like the nature versus nurture argument of you've got this you've got these completely identical people one has been put through some really fucking heinous trauma and mm. the other hasn't. And you see how, you know, at the end, you see this uh, crappy <laughs> CGI of them, you know, looking at themselves in the mirror. And you see how much that can affect, you know, a person. That's, that's actually that uh, That wasn't a sneeze. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, bless you anyway. Oh, you thank are God's you. child. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, the ones that I was thinking about, the conjoined twins that I was thinking about was Abby and Brittany Hansel, the, the blondes. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying actually rings true because they were born into an affluent family. Mm. And they did, despite like in any other situation or in a third world country, their lives would have been a shit ton more different than yeah. what they are in America, born into a, a family that has money. Because mm-hmm. they do have separate personalities. And I wonder how much of that is because they they didn't have to mm. struggle, I guess. Yeah. Or not in, as in not monetarily. Yeah, yeah. Like, like obviously, yeah. uh, in any conversation that anybody will ever have about privilege, you know, like, you could have some privilege but not another and you know at least at least in this specific example we're talking about socioeconomic status therefore financial status yeah yeah Hmm. cool oh dear all right well uh do you have any other notes no that is i had i i thought i had more than that but that apparently when i actually get to put it out of my mouth it (laughs) isn't as much no 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 it was a lot (laughs) it sure was a lot talia (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well Well, I'm V And I'm Talia and we are heinously yours We are heinously yours <laughs> <laughs> Lipstick kiss at the end <laughs> XOXO <laughs> XOXO Oh god, please Let's not make that part <laughs> No <laughs>